0: Streaming audio is made possible by Hungry Harvest, delivering farm-fresh produce and grocery staples to your door. Every delivery allows you to support local donations that fight hunger in the community. Learn more at HungryHarvest.net. This episode is brought to you by Next One Up. Next One Up transforms the lives of young men in Baltimore City by providing long-term mentoring and coaching during the critical ages of 13 to 24. Innovative programming blends a focus on academics, athletics, and leadership to infuse out-of-school with purpose and help young men create a dynamic and concrete vision for their future. Next One Up, transforming the lives of young men in Baltimore City by supporting and advancing their academic, athletic, and social development. Learn more, donate, or get involved at nextoneup.org
1: yeah i just I was always a fan of music, but I was always you know I was always a person that was listening to stuff that was sort of off the beaten path where if everyone was listening to a certain mainstream song, I was going to the other side listening to something totally different and um at the time, you know covering education, obviously I was writing every day I was reporting every day, and that's when the thoughts started to hit me that you know hey um It'd be kind of cool to cover this music full-time.
0: This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs, necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general.
1: I want to get line dry. Right.
2: Wanna lose weight? Keep it. For you. In
1: my financial situation. What chapter? Now I was raised in a sandbox. Next to you and her. You was holding a handgun. She was giving birth to a baby born to be just like you. I I wonder what that's worth. I wonder if you, you ever knew you was a role model to me first. The next day I I woke up in the morning, seeing you on the news, looked in the mirror and really. Realized...
0: Marcus J. Moore is an award-winning music journalist editor, curator, pundit, and author of The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America. It's being released through Atria Books, an imprint of Simon & Schuster, on October 13, 2020. Moore is a contributing writer with The Nation and a contributing editor with Bandcamp Daily. His coverage of soul, jazz, hip-hop, and rock can be found at the New York Times, Pitchfork, Entertainment Weekly, The Washington Post, NPR, Rolling Stone, and The Atlantic, among many other outlets. The first song Moore chose as being formative for him was I Can See the Sun in Late December by Roberta Flack.
1: I heard that song in. It wasn't too long. I want to say it was like twenty. It may have been two thousand nine when I heard the song, um, and I can't even remember how I came across it. I remember back then um, I, I had been listening to a lot of records. You know, I would if I was into an artist, I would go to the record store and I'd have to buy every single CD they ever came out with. So, so you know, like I was in this really big Roberta, Roberta Flack phase and. I went to uh, FYE at the time and I literally bought every CD. And I remember when I um, played the feel like making love album, that was a song that stood out. I mean, I think that's her best work. That's her best album, but that's definitely the song that stuck out for sure.
2: So was it before you maybe were, I mean, you know, you, you grew up listening to, uh, you know, music that is around when you're growing up. Right. And, um, Sometimes you know, I know I was like this when I was a kid and, and my own kids are like this. It's like you don't want to hear anything that's old. Um I mean, did you have that kind of relationship with seventies soul or was it just something you didn't pay that much attention to before? No,
1: I definitely had a relationship with it because I grew up in a household where they were you know, every Saturday that's what they were playing, you know. I grew up listening to the latest Al Green record and the latest, um, you know, whoever, you know, everything from George Michael to um, to David Bowie to, um, you know, my aunt was really big into Journey and things like that. So I grew up in a household where it wasn't just the 70s, it was the 70s and the 80s, where um, they liked everything, you know, so I already had this sort of fascination with older music anyway, I always had a more mature ear than I was supposed to have. And so. You know, naturally, when I heard that song, I just you know instantly connected to it, and um, yeah, and I think that still carried over. Like even when I started working at Bandcamp full time, that was the kind of music I would always be drawn to. is, you know this uh, obscure jazz from the early '70s or the soul record from the early '70s, and so I feel like um, that's an important song because it was one of the first ones that I would you know, I guess, play openly because at the time I was really big into hip hop. You know, I was really big into, if it wasn't East Coast hip hop, I wasn't trying to hear it. (laughs) And that was the first song that I'm like, no, this good music is just good music. And uh, I, you know, I got into that one and it sort of opened me up to listening to all kinds of psychedelic soul from all different eras.
2: Right. Do you, can you pinpoint the the time in your life when you started thinking about um, music as a writer, not so much when you were starting to write about it, but when you started thinking about it in a way that maybe felt like you were thinking about it differently than some of your friends or your family? Yeah, I think the time
1: was, um, I want to say it was 2008. Um, at the time I was a full-time, uh, reporter at the uh, Gazette newspaper in, um, in Maryland. Uh, in uh, Montgomery County. And uh, yeah, I just I was always a fan of music, but I was always, you know, I was always a person that was listening to stuff that was sort of off the beaten path, where if everyone was listening to a certain mainstream song, I was going to the other side, listening to something totally different. And um, at the time, you know, covering education, obviously, I was writing every day, I was reporting every day. And that's when the thoughts started to hit me that, you know, hey, um, it'd be kind of cool to cover this music full time because I feel like there's this whole world of music out there that people aren't paying attention to that, that isn't being written about, that needs to be written about. And and that's when I decided to take the plunge. So to answer your question, um, definitely 08 is when I first started to think like, huh, I, I would like to put my friends onto this you know, sort of, quote unquote, weird, unique, crazy music that I've always liked anyway. And, you know, maybe there's a bigger audience for it. And at the time, there wasn't, you know, there really weren't too many avenues to cover music that wasn't super mainstream. And thankfully, over the past decade, I feel like the landscape has shifted where there is more of a palette for unique and sonically challenging music. Um, but definitely, the catalyst was
2: the first catalyst was Roberta in '08 for sure. Uh, not to not to go too deep on this particular uh, rabbit hole, but I, I am really interested in that sort of because that that not just the writing about music, but the proselytizing about music, right? Like finding something and thinking, you know, people got to hear this if they don't know about it. It's like I, you know. I used to write about music. Uh, I did for many years, and it's like that feeling. I still feel like I have that feeling every day, at least once. It's like, oh my god, if people only heard this, uh, and you know, I'm always recommending stuff. And I just, I just don't know if everybody does that. And I have remained fascinated as to why certain brains, certain people, work like that, think like that, have that kind of relationship with music.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think it's it's honestly because that's just the way I've been, like even not even just music. It's it's been that way across the board, like, um, you know, even going back to kindergarten, like if if I wanted to like if everybody was in this certain reading group, I wanted to be in this other one. Or like if everyone had the popular sneakers, I wanted to have these other sneakers like I've always been the road less traveled kind of guy. And I've always been a naturally curious person. So it just naturally carried over into music, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. I like mainstream music. Uh, You know, my first book is about Kendrick Lamar, so you can't get any more mainstream than that. But other than that, you know, when it's time to like dig into the crates, like, or when it's time to talk about music, you know, I'm talking about, you know, bands like Irreversible Entanglements. I'm talking about people like Junius Paul and Jamie Branch and, and folks like that. So, yeah, no, I, I feel like that's just um, that's just where I've always been anyway. And I just sort of stuck with it.
2: Do you think that Roberta Flack has kind of gotten her due? I mean, because, you know, obviously she's an amazing artist, but she doesn't seem to get, you know, name checked as much as like some of her peers, frankly, some of her male peers.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. I never thought that she got the credit that she deserved. Um, But I also think it's because, like, I don't know, just in listening to all of her music as a person, like I was saying at the top, you know, as a person who um, would just go and buy all of her albums and just, you know, pour over each one of them, I don't think she ever came out with, like, the record. You know, I don't, like, back in that day, you can point to somebody like Stevie and say, like, oh, well, you know, Inner Visions or Songs in the Key of Life. Or you can look at Marvin Gaye and say, what's going on? You can even you can look to Minnie Ripperton and you can say, Come to My Garden. Or you can say, Perfect Angel. But um, as much as I love Roberta, I feel like she always had really good singles. She would have good songs on albums, but I never thought she had like the record that. Grabbed everybody's attention. Um, obviously, you know that's just my opinion, and somebody else will think differently. But I feel like um, the "Feel Like Making Love" album probably came the closest to that. But you know, she had some other records where they were good, but they could easily be missed. Uh, you know, with with this onslaught of seventy soul that was coming out at the time, you could easily kind of gloss over um, other projects that she came out with, unfortunately.
0: The second song Moore chose as essential to him was Jimmy Was a Rock Star by Common.
1: I'll tell you my second song is um commons uh jimmy was a rock star and here's why um i understand that you know commons electric circus album is a very you know controversial record you know it's one of those records where you either love it or you hate it even by his own admission you know so that's not any that's not a controversial statement by any means but the reason why um, that is definitely a song that I chose is because, uh, you know, if nothing else, like it showed that he was willing to go out there and try something different. And I think, um, you know, he that was one of those record, one of those songs and one of those records where it was different every time you never knew what you were going to get from Common, like uh, Resurrection was one thing. One Day It All Makes Sense was one kind of album. Then Like Water for Chocolate was like his Afrobeat album. And Electric Circus was his Outer Space record. So the reason why I love Jimmy was a rock star is because, you know, you look at the personnel on there and it was like, you had a who's who of everybody on that track. I mean, Questlove was playing drums. I think James Poyser was on it. It was him and Erica Badu paying tribute to Jimmy. And I think more than any other song, that was the one that showed me that, you know, along with Roberta, like that good music is just good music, you know, and black music covers the full spectrum of everything. Like it doesn't have to be, like even though it's a hip hop record, you can have some rock on there, you can have some psych rock, some folk or whatever. And honestly, I think they did a really good job of pulling it off. I think it got a lot of undue hate Simply because it wasn't like Water for Chocolate, which was an amazing record. I think that's a perfect album, um, but it wasn't that, and and it didn't have like big hits like The Light on it and um, Six Cents and things of that nature. But Jimmy was one of those like just go there, throw everything into the song, and see what happens. And um, yeah, I, I still play that song. I, I think that's um, it's a, it's a criminally underrated record. And honestly, when you look at that song. And when you look at that album, I think it foreshadowed a lot of stuff that came after it. Like it foreshadowed all the brain feeder stuff. It foreshadowed Sarah and all of that. Um, and even in some of the stuff that's out now, you know, whether it's Pink Seafood, whether it's Live, um, all of these people in the underground scene. Um, I think a lot of these a lot of these people are indebted to Electric Circus, even if they don't want to say it. But. A lot of that song and that album is out here today, for sure.
2: Well, it's interesting that that's the one that you're picking, and for those reasons, because it seems like to me that, especially in hip hop, a lot of times there's this this pushback against people who do something really different. You know, artists who do something really different, and you know, I'm sure that you know you or you know other people can name all sorts of counter examples of that but it just seems like there's an orthodoxy that's a little bit hard to get past. Do you, do you find that? Oh yeah. 100%. And especially at the
1: time, because Jimmy was a rock star and electric circus came out in 2002. And at the time, like 2002 was just after the golden era of hip hop where you had all time great MCs coming up, you know. So you had like Jay Z making his name. You had Mob Deep. You had Biggie, Nas, Snoop, everybody. So they didn't stray too far outside of what they were doing, you know. If if they made a, a records one way, if they rap one way, that's how they were gonna sound every single time. So they weren't gonna you know jump out there and say, oh well, here's my rock album. Here's my you know my techno song or whatever, so they weren't doing stuff like that. um I think it was very brave of common to do something like that at the time because, yeah, he was definitely gonna get scrutiny because you know a lot of fans weren't gonna weren't gonna look at it as a viable album because it wasn't like water for chocolate um and I think in that way, you know, to your point, the roots also kind of got some scrutiny with uh phrenology because they came out with phrenology after uh things fall apart which is seen as like their seminal record so um yeah I I feel like there is still this this notion of okay if it's too different we can't really fool with it but I do feel like now in 2020 there is more license to do something that's sort of weird and creative and there's going to be an audience for it whereas back then you know if it wasn't what people expected they weren't gonna get into it regardless because it just wasn't, it was so far outside of what they were used to from that artist. I think it took a band like Outkast, you know, once Outkast sold millions of records, you know, like six million records and whatnot, then that's when it kind of opened up to say like, okay, well you can do different kinds of music and it can still classify as hip hop. But when Common did it, it was kind of weird because he was seen as like the B-boy dude and he was like the lyrical hip-hop guy. Um, so for him to, you know, go on this like Jimi Hendrix meets Pink Floyd meets Led Zeppelin kind of vibe, it, it struck a lot of people the wrong way because it, it just didn't identify with what they were used to from him.
2: Well, at the risk of opening a, a big can of worms, I mean, how do you think that this conversation applies to, you know, Kendrick Lamar, who you spent a lot of time thinking about recently? I mean, you know, his records have been really ambitious, but, you know, you could also argue that they're not far outside of, I don't know, maybe they're out They're far outside of the mainstream. I don't know. You should tell. me Well,
1: no, album. I mean, I think it definitely identifies because, um, you know, I, it's the same sort of thing. Whenever Tim Pepper Butterfly came out, it took a while for people to wrap their heads around that album simply because it wasn't as straightforward and as lush as good kid mad city and you still have people who feel like good kid mad city is his best work and i totally understand that like i get it like i have friends that are like yo no that's the one for me and and it makes total sense um to pimper butterfly admittedly is such a dense record like i i immediately got into it because i'm such a jazz head but and i you know i I just like weird esoteric crazy stuff so yeah, no, his. I, I feel like that album definitely jumped way outside, and people are still trying to understand what's going on in that album because you had so many different elements between the jazz, between the funk, between um, the spoken word poem that's that's woven throughout, and things of that. And, they, and the topics that he's talking about. So he's talking about depression and and survivor's guilt and things like that. Um, but I do feel like he he came back much like Common did. He he brought it back down to earth with the damn record, which was more straightforward, you know, big, big 808 drums and things like that. And it just worked out better, um, and people understood that more. And Common did the same thing after Electric Circus, where he comes out with B, and he has this young hotshot producer named Kanye West making all the beats for him. And so that sort of brought him back into the sphere of hip-hop, um, and people understood that more than they understood Electric Circus. Now, I know that um, a lot of people look back at Electric Circus now and they're like, oh, that record was actually kind of dope. Because again, I feel like now that the musical landscape is more more open, it's more vast, people now have a palate for it. They have ears for it. But at the time, no, people hated it. Like, <laughs> you either loved the record or you could not stand it. There was no middle ground. And um, I think Kendrick definitely... Um, was a voice for that.
0: The final song Moore chose as being crucial to him was Another Star by Stevie Wonder.
1: song that i chose uh, the last song is stevie wonder uh, another star um because you know historically i just saw stevie as like uh you know he does one type of soul music and it's always very you know sweet and it's always you know about nature and things of that nature um but that one is more you know latin infused dance um it was totally different and i, and I feel like that song proved that you know, Stevie wasn't just going to be a one-trick pony. You know, he could do all kinds of soul music and make it work. And it was on arguably one of the best soul albums or the best soul album of the 70s. And so when I think of that song, that's the one that opened me up to listening to all kinds of Stevie Wonder. And now that's why he's uh, my favorite artist of all time.
2: So where would that have, have come along in, in your life and sort of your your understanding of music? Um, that was right at high school. That
1: was right in, um, senior year in high school. Um, I had just kind of known about his music, but I didn't know, you know, about the B-sides. Um, I just knew the hits. And so that was the one that showed me like, Oh, wait a minute. If you get into his B-sides there, some of those are actually better than the stuff that you hear on the radio. And so that's what, um, sort of opened me up to it. And, uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those where if I'm having a bad day or if I'm down about something or whatever, just play Stevie and it's all good. You know, he's one of those artists for me right now. This has been
0: Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. This episode was edited by our production intern, Jonas Byers. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore and NPR. Look for and subscribe to all of WYPR's podcasts at wypr.org/slash podcast central. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to essentialpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.